I want to echo that welcome from Kevin earlier. You know, you could have chosen anywhere in the world to be this morning, um, anything to do this morning, but here we are. Um, You've chosen to come here and worship God and how great that is. I commend you for that, but more than that, I think God commends you for that. God is happy that you are here and that you've chosen to worship Him. I want to thank um, all those that are here, all those that are tuned in on the live stream, um, those that can't be here, we miss you. Um, We long to see you again. I want to thank everyone that came out and supported our kids at Epic. Um, It was an awesome weekend. I think our kids learned a lot. They did really great. Um, There are no winners in Epic, but if there were, we would have been them. Um, We did great. Uh, (laughs) Bill said there are winners, so we won. Um, But we did great. Um, I want to thank all those young men that participated in everything, but I especially... um, and proud of those boys that decided to preach sermons. Um, there were five of them here that signed up to do it, and they did a great job. And I, just to put that into uh, perspective, there were only seven boys that signed up out of everybody. So five of those seven were from here. So that says something about this congregation. You guys are training preachers, and that's something that should be commended. Um, those young men really did great. There's an age-old saying, and I'm sure you've heard it before, there are two things that are certain in this life, death and taxes. It's been said many times, um, and I know you're waiting for that sermon on taxes, um, what God's word has to say about it, but it's not coming today. Uh, I want to talk about the first thing. I want to talk about death. Death is a real thing. Death is a sad thing. And I could spend a long time talking about it, talking about someone that's died in my life, maybe a celebrity that's died that's touched us all. You know, recently Kobe Bryant died, and that really shocked the sports world. I could have talked about that for a while, but I don't think I need to. You know about death. You've dealt with death in your life. Maybe it was something as small as a pet for the, the younger kids. Um, a pet has died, a hamster, a dog, whatever it was. Maybe it was a friend, um, a close friend, maybe even a family member. You've dealt with death before. You've seen death. Death is something that can be very, very scary. I can think of times when I've been driving, and maybe I've hit a patch of ice, and a moment of dread comes upon me. I think this could be it. This could be the time where I leave this world. It's a scary thought to think that everything could be gone, everything I've done, it could all be gone in the blink of an eye, and I could be standing before God waiting for judgment. That's scary. It always scares me, and I always ask myself, where would I stand? Where would God send me if judgment day came right now? If, if my car did go off the road and I did die, what would God say to me? Would I be on the left or would I be on the right? Am I ready for judgment day? Death takes and it doesn't give back. If death comes in and grabs a hold of you, you're not going to get out of death's grip. That doesn't happen. There are about 10 instances in the Bible where we can be certain that someone came back from the grave. Ten instances that we can be certain of. Out of the billions of people that have lived on this earth, we'll say a hundred maximum have come back from the dead. That is a small sample size. And we could go through and look at them. There are some small ones, um, like the man who was thrown in Elisha's grave, and he touched his bones and came back from the dead. Um, One like Eutychus, uh, a prime example of why you should never fall asleep during a sermon. And then there are the big ones. Men like Lazarus, who had been dead for three days, the the close friend of Jesus. And then obviously Jesus himself came back 
from the dead. We can't expect a second chance at this life. Death is something that is permanent. Obviously, I'm talking about in this life, this body, death is permanent for us. I've been talking about death, though, in a negative light. But death can be a positive thing. Um, Obviously, for Christians who are awaiting their reward, death is a positive thing for them. Um, They get to go and be with God. But I'm I'm talking specifically about dying to something. This morning, I want to talk about the idea of dying to sin. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. That's where we'll be for this entire lesson. Romans chapter 6. You have died to sin. Romans chapter 6, and we'll start in verses 1 and 2. This is a letter from Paul to the Romans, and he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Paul asks this question and then answers it for us and says, by no means. But this is a question that he knows is going to be raised. When people read the letter of Romans, when they read Paul's letters, they're going to raise this question. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? The opponents of Paul are going to bring up this question, and so Paul's going to answer it for us. By no means. I want to explain the thought process of these opponents of Paul to you. And it's a logical process. They think, sin, they think that sin gives grace. And grace is good. I think we'd all agree with that. Grace is a good thing. But they think that when you sin, you get grace. The more you sin, the more grace that you get. And so their thought process when they're reading Paul's letter is, we should sin as much as possible so that we can get as much grace as possible. That's what they're thinking. And so Paul asks this question in advance, knowing that this is what they're going to bring up. And he says, so what? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? And his answer is, by no means. You know, there's sound logic there. If you were reading Paul's letter and he hadn't answered this question for us, we might think this too. You know, there's, there's a such thing as too, there's something like too much of a good thing. That is a real thing. I think back to when I was a little kid and, and I'd go trick-or-treating on Halloween and I'd get all this candy. Um, maybe you as a parent, your kid goes trick-or-treating and you eat their candy. I don't know what you do. But my mom would say, you can have a few pieces of candy. And little did she know that I would eat all my candy in one night. And then what happens? You get sick. You get a stomach ache. You don't feel good. The same thing happens with medication. If, if you take too much medicine, it can become bad for you. Um, when I had a surgery on my sinuses, um, I had this medicine called Flonase, and I'd squirt it in my nose, and it made it easier to breathe. But if I continued to use that over and over and over, my body would get dependent on it. Something as simple as, as melatonin, um, something that your brain produces to help you sleep. If you take too much of it, you'll become addicted, and your body won't be able to produce it as well. There's a such thing as too much of a good thing. But with grace, that's not quite true. I want to define grace for you. Grace is when God gives us something that we don't deserve. And you can couple that with the idea of mercy. God not giving us what we do deserve. So putting these two ideas together, we deserve punishment. But God doesn't give us that. For our sin, we deserve punishment. That's mercy. Grace is the fact that God has given us salvation Instead, these two ideas go together. But as I said, you can't have too much grace. The problem here isn't that these people, they're misunderstanding grace. They understand grace. Grace is a good thing and we want as much of it as possible. What they're misunderstanding is sin. They say, 
shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? As Christians, we cannot continue in sin. They're not saying, should we sin one time? They're saying, should we live a life of sin? Should we live a lifestyle of sin? As Christians, we can't do that. We can't participate or entertain sin. Lauren and I, uh, a couple weeks ago, went to Eureka Springs in Arkansas. And it's a beautiful place. It was an awesome drive. And I, drive, I drove the whole way there and back. And I say that to tell you that I noticed something that I've never noticed. I've been driving for five years and maybe this shows you how observant I am, so stay away from me on the road. Um, but under the speed limit sign, there's a sign basically everywhere in Oklahoma on I-40 going that way that says right underneath the speed, no tolerance. I've never noticed that before. I always thought, you know, the cops will tolerate it. I can go as fast as I want. Maybe not. That's not true. But there's a sign that says no tolerance. How true is that for sin? We as Christians should have no tolerance of sin. When sin gets into our lives, we can't tolerate it. We have to kick it out. It has no place in your life. If you have died to sin, you can't continue in sin that grace may abound. You've died to sin, so you cannot live in it anymore. So we are dead to sin. Now, does this mean that you'll never sin in your entire life once you're saved? Of course not. Obviously, that's not true. You will continue to sin, even inspired apostles sin from time to time. If you look at Galatians chapter 2, um, Jews were sent to Antioch and Peter happened to be there and the Jews are coming and so he, he's worried about the social stipulations and so he withdraws fellowship from Gentiles and Paul has to go and rebuke him. Paul has to correct Peter. Even inspired apostles sinned from time to time. As we who have died to sin, it's not that we're never going to sin again. It's that we cannot continue in it. Sin can no longer be our lifestyle. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. We are dead to sin. And I want to look at Romans 6, um, 1 through 11, and I want to see that, how we have died to sin. So to begin, we are dead to sin through baptism. Read with me verses 3 through 5. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. I love symbolism. I love um, using illustrations in sermons. Um, we use illustrations to get things across. Um, Russ always uses songs for his illustrations. He knows way more than I do, so I'm never going to try and use a song. Um, but we use, to give an example, the Lord's Supper that we just took, it's symbolism. The, the bread and the, and the cup represent the body and the blood of Christ. It's symbolism. And I am never going to come up with an illustration for baptism as good as what Paul gives us right here. The gospel, in general, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Baptism, the way that we die to sin, is the way that we reenact that gospel. So to begin... We're baptized into Christ. Those of us, verse 3, that were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death. Once again, baptism is immersion. I said this uh, in a sermon a couple months ago. The word baptism literally means immersion. That's important to note, that we're baptized. We're immersed into the death of Christ. What death is being talked about here? The death on the cross. The death for sin. We have died to sin. That's the death that we're baptized into. So we're buried with him by baptism into death. If you continue on 
in verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. It's talking about water baptism here. Because, once again, baptism is immersion. There's no other mode of baptism in which you are buried. Water baptism is the only way for that to happen. So you die to sin, you're buried in water. And then if you continue on in verse 4, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. You're raised out of the water of baptism to walk a new life. So you die to sin, you're buried in the water, and then you're raised to walk a new life. And it's important to say that baptism is not a work of man. Some people like to say that, that baptism is a work of man because we're using human hands to do it. But look at the way that Christ was raised in verse 4. Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. And then if you look at verse 5, we've been united in a death like his. We've died to sin. He died for sin, just like he did. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So we're raised just like Christ was, by the glory of the Father. That's important to note. Baptism isn't about what we do. It's not about mankind. I'll mention it later, but in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I but Christ live in me, lives in me. I put myself to death and now I'm living a new life. And then to tie 1 Peter 3.21 into this, baptism, it's not about what we're doing. Baptism, it's not about being in the water and getting wet. It's about your appeal to God for a good conscience. Baptism is that moment. So baptism's the way we get to die like Jesus, be buried like Jesus, and be raised like Jesus. It's an incredible work of God. Colossians 2 and verse 12 describes it as a powerful working of God. So it's a reenactment of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's how we die to sin. That's the first step. Baptism is the first step to dying to sin. And then you go to live a new life. So you've died to sin through baptism. Secondly, you've died to sin for freedom. I've always loved, uh, when I was a little kid, learning about butterflies. And and, uh, everyone loves butterflies, I think. I've never met anyone that doesn't. Um, but the idea of a caterpillar going into metamorphosis, it, into metamorphosis, c- cocooning itself, um, and emerging as a new thing. Our old self died on the cross with Jesus, and we're transformed into a new person. It, a, a butterfly, a caterpillar, doesn't die in that cocoon, but it becomes something new. And that's the idea I'm trying to get across. Your sinful life, though, it died. It was completely eradicated. Let's read uh, verses 6 and 7. Of Romans chapter 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who's died has been set free from sin. What rules your life? That's a question you need to ask yourself. What rules my life? Why do I do what I do? Maybe it's wealth. Maybe you're always looking to make a profit. Maybe it's popularity. Um, You want other people to think highly of you. Maybe it's power. You want power and authority over others. Maybe it's pride. You think that you're above other people. I hope that that's not the answer. But all of those things I just described, they fall under the umbrella of sin. If those things are ruling your life, then you haven't fully died to sin yet. Everyone is a slave to something, is what is said in verse 6. We were enslaved to sin. Sin owned us. We owed something to it, and so we had to work for sin. We had to do what sin wanted. But now that we've been baptized, now that we've died to sin, we've been released from that slavery to sin. You died to sin, you're free. Your debt is paid. Nothing is held 
against you anymore. Sin has no power over you anymore. So we've died. We've been set free. The idea is really brought out later in the chapter, but the idea is we've, been, we've died to sin for freedom, and now we're free to serve God, to become a servant of God, a bond servant. We now owe God because he's the one that's given us the opportunity to be, to be freed. So the answer to that question, what rules my life now? Why do I do what I do? It should be God. I do what I do because that's what God wants me to do. So we've died to sin. We've been set free um, from sin. And now we're free to serve God. And now finally, let's read 8 through 11. Now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We've died to sin so that we can live for God. The sacrifice of Christ is life-changing. It should change your life. It changes your current life. We're raised to walk a new life. It also has eternal connotations here in verses 8 through 11. Um, If we've died, then we will live. Um, That's what it says here. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. That we will live, and this is a future tense verb. The sacrifice of Christ has caused some changes to your eternity. You were on a downward trajectory. You were going down. And then the death of Christ and your decision to be baptized into him has changed that. And now you're going up. You're aiming for heaven now because of that. Christ is no longer under the dominion of death. Death no longer has dominion over him. He's not under the power of death anymore. And neither are we. Now sure, we're all going to die one day. Like I said at the beginning, there are two things that are certain in life. Death and taxes. So we're all going to die one day, but we get to live again for eternity. And the life that he lives, he lives to God in verse 10. The, lo- the death he died, he died to sin once for all. So he died for us. Um, sin and death no longer have power over mankind. The life he lives, he lives to God. Jesus is the only one that's ever conquered sin and death. He's the only man that's ever lived a sinless life. And now the life he lives, he lives to God. Jesus shows us God. He was God in the flesh And he shows us God, and his whole purpose now is to glorify the Father. That's what Jesus wanted to do. He wanted to glorify God when he was on this earth. And that's what he's doing now. And so look at verse 11. This sums it all up. You also, just like Jesus, must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we've died to sin so that now we can live for God. We leave behind our sinful lives, and now our express purpose is to honor and glorify God. We have died to sin. When you look at your life, there's not a place for sin anymore. You left it behind. That old sinful man was crucified on the cross. Once again, to call back to Galatians 2 and verse 20. So now we live for Jesus. We live for God. We live an honest, godly life. We show people Christ. We bring them to Jesus. And that moment that you died was the moment that you were immersed in baptism. Once you're baptized, you're freed from sin. You know, we were stuck. We were owned by sin. Sinning was leading your life, but you've kicked it out. It's like, um, you older people may not understand this, um, but the younger people should. Uh, The movie, The Emperor's New Groove. I loved that movie growing up. And there was a character named Kronk. And Kronk was the big henchman. And he wasn't the smartest guy, but he was a kind guy. And he always had on his shoulder 
a cronk that was dressed up like Satan and then a cronk that was dressed up like an angel. And they were whispering in his ear, telling him what to do. And that's how it is. You had sin on your shoulder, whispering in your ear, telling you what to do. But when you've died to sin, you've hit it off your shoulder. You've kicked sin out of your life. You're not listening to what sin has to say anymore. You've knocked that influence away and now you're free. You belong to God. You get to worship God as much as you want. You actually owe God now because he's the one who has set you free. We have to be crucified with Jesus and now we get to live for God. And our life should reflect the will of God. We do what God commands. We live how God wants to do. He is the driving force in our lives. This morning, if you haven't died to sin, you need to. You need to be dead to sin. And the only way to do that is to die to sin, be buried, with, be buried in baptism with Jesus, and raised to that new life. That's the only way. To be immersed in baptism is the only way that you can die fully to sin. And we're ready and willing to assist you in that. We have a baptistry right here. We'd love to help you. We'd love to immerse you so that you can begin that new life. Maybe um, you haven't died to sin yet, or maybe you have, but sin is still in your life. Sin is still controlling you. It's still whispering in your ear, telling you what to do. If that's the case, we want to help you. We want to help you die to sin, kick sin out. We'd love to help you in any way that we can, to study with you, to pray for you, um, to, to help give you strength. We'd love to lift you up if you've stumbled and fallen. We'll assist you in any way that we can. We all need to be dead to sin, and we all need to live for God. So if you have a need doing that, um, you can come forward, and we'll help you as we stand and as we sing.